The Start On Demand. On demand. CFL football is set to resume in August. For Breakfast with the Bombers, today we spoke to Avi Khan, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, current entrepreneur and restaurateur. And we wanted to ask him, what does the return of football mean for local biz? Do you have your Lotto Max ticket, $70 million jackpot, and estimated 58 Max Millions, the biggest jackpot in Canadian history? And we continued our Father's Day contest, Dad Rocks. Today, we got you to tell us something funny about your dad. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. Mackling's on vacation, by the way. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, June 15th podcast for The Start. Gary and McNabb, Mackling is off this week, and you know, Loren, I I love my job, but today I'm thinking there's probably 128 million reasons <laughs> why I would be happy not to come into work tomorrow. Oh, the old conversation. If you won the lottery, <laughs> do you come into work the next day? And the answer on that amount, Brett, is you do come in to go, na-na-na-na-na-na, <laughs> or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah. I don't know. That's such a great, great, great way to kick things off because, yeah, the Lotto Max goes tonight. It's a record-breaking amount. I think the jackpot's 70 million, but then there's all those max millions, yeah. you know, the millions of maxes and <laughs> there's max millions up the yin yang today available. And so for sure, you said, I texted you this morning and said, um, we'll be chatting lotteries at 707. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> On it. <laughs> you bought your ticket already or how did it go? I got in on the group, on right. the uh, the group buy at work. And that was the first thing I did this morning because uh, I often end up waiting until beyond 10 o'clock because we have until noon today. One of our sales team, Mayanne, she has been taking care of the group lottery purchases for years now. Like anytime the jackpot hits 50 million, then uh, they do the group buy. And uh, she typically will send me a note after 10 o'clock saying, don't forget about the lottery. And I wanted to make sure that I got it in before she sent me the reminder. And uh, because I'd, I, I would lose my mind. If, imagine <laughs> the group buy and they, if they hit it and I didn't get in on it. Would you want to be the person not in on that? No, no. And I always forget to do it. But for some reason, this amount, say it would say the full amount went to just that one work group, the 70 million. Yeah. And what on average, how many do we have on that lot of pool? Sometimes there's 20, sometimes there's 40 kind of just depends on the day and the week and, and who buys in. But that's an amount of money that can be split really well. Between 30, 40, you know, everybody would get a million and a half, two million, three, depending on the group size. And so I would be so mad. And it would be just my luck that it would be both you and Macklin. And I'd wake up in the morning and be like, hey, hello, my, I'm doing this by myself? Like, that's how that would go. And I'd be like, of course, those two got the tickets and I'm the idiot that didn't. So, yeah. Yeah, last time there were 37 people in on the, the lottery. And I suspect there might be a few more because I know there have been a couple of stragglers who have rarely participated, but who they finally got in last week and will probably continue to get in this week. But I also buy my own ticket as well. So if I if we won the group lottery, 
I would still come into work for sure. But if I won the 70 million, even that, I wonder like, okay, so let's say I win the big, big jackpot. What am, what am I going to do with, I, I think I'd be bored without work as much as I sort of feel weird saying that out loud. I just, I don't know. I, I think I, yeah, I, of course I could find ways to occupy myself, but sure. eventually without that human interaction, I, I don't know. Well, you like what you do. So that's part of it too, right? I think there's so many people out there when they dream of winning the lottery, it might be because they need to change course. They want to course correct and do something different or travel or do all sorts of things. I mean, you could do this show. If anything working from home has taught me is I can take this Commander G3 just about anywhere. Yeah. So I would just hit the road. Where are you today, Loren? Seychelles, bought a place. <laughs> Where are you now? Safari, bought a place. I don't know. Like I just keep going, going down the travel list. But I, I, I we're going to talk to the Western Canada Lottery Corporation after seven. And I'm curious how many people have been buying lotto tickets. Like if, if there's been an uptake in purchases of lotto tickets over the past year, just, just for that dreaming, you know, you've got a lot more time on your hands in the last year. You have a lot of people who are perhaps struggling more than they ever had before. And therefore lottery might just be the thing that they just hope happens for them. And I get like every time I jokingly say to my husband, plan A retirement would be to win the lottery. Plan B working on plan B, but plan A is the one in, you know, 40 million shot of, of winning the lottery. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's just been more people kind of buying into that in, in the past 12, 15, 18 months. Yeah, that's true. And I'd be also be curious to know, since we've been able to buy physical tickets again, if they if they saw a bit of a surge, because I know when they shut down the ability to buy right. physical tickets, uh, I don't, not everybody, um, I'm sure they got a lot of uptake on the playnow.com, but I know some people who just said, oh, forget it. And I know that I, it took me a while to, to just get signed in to play now. And then I ended up missing a few draws because I, I, I always, I sort of have this habit where every Tuesday I'll go buy a lot of max ticket and a 649 ticket. And then Friday I'll do the same. So because I didn't have to make that physical trip anymore, I just, I couldn't get into the habit of doing it digitally, just picking up my phone and doing it. And you can set play now to sort of auto subscribe, but uh, I don't know. I sort of like just going to grab that. I like having that ticket. Pull yes. up, sit, sit at the sit at the coffee table, grab a pen, pull up my phone, open the website, and then just the you know, the the disappointment that is immediately followed by that. It's the it's routine. So funny how you can really set yourself up to believe in it, right? And even my kids, I don't know. Uh, lotteries must be doing a really good job with commercials because they're well aware of it going on and we don't talk about it hardly at all and we don't regularly buy tickets we just that's not our habit but maybe it should be but they will ask like did who won the lotto max today or did, oh, did wow. anyone from manitoba and i don't i don't know why that is if kids are talking about it if they just like i said targeted ads but then we've had to had some conversations to them about hey like the the best plan in life is your education like let's be clear that's the way it goes. You have to do well at school to get where you want to go. And so it's kind of funny that we're talking about that today because we're also going to talk education in our next segment and the whole reforms that are underway for our K-12 students and the education minister trying to reset the conversation because he's not happy with what he calls inform- misinformation going on. And so I'd love to hear from all facets of this because... Like as a parent, I'm always sitting here saying, go to school, do well at school. That's the that's the course for your future. And yet here I am a little bit in the background dreaming of, you know, that day where I can just throw it all in the air and and run to the hills with my <laughs> with my millions. So <laughs> I know it's not going to happen. Hey, somebody's got to win. 
Somebody's got to win it, right? So that's why we do it. There, I know the chances of getting struck by lightning are greater than winning the, the big lottery jackpot. But so what? Somebody's got to win. So I say, whatever. If you buy a ticket, it's fun. And uh, who knows? $70 million. That sounds pretty good. Hey, by the way, how was golf? You went golfing yesterday. I'm still as terrible as I ever was. That was my first time golfing in exactly two years. Two years ago, July. Sorry, it was my last time golfing. I'm not great, but I enjoyed it. It was a beautiful night. It was great to be out there. We were super slow. We got off the course, and I'm like, is is the moon coming out? Like, this is taking a long time. So I feel like I'm like a seven-hole kind of person. Like, I got to the seventh hole, and I was like, this is good for me. Yeah. It took us three hours to do nine, oh, which boy. is far too long. Yeah, that should take two. What course was it? In Differville, Old Drover's Run. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of uh, sand traps, and I don't know. I felt like I was in the British Open at one point <laughs> when I was in the like right in the weeds. I was like having to do m- multiplication to figure out my score. Like <laughs> carry the one divided by three, seventy-seven. Okay, that's not good for one hole. You learned yesterday, this week, we have a great contest for Father's Day called Dad Rocks. One lucky listener will win a $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds for Dad. We'll give away that grand prize on Friday, which means we need four qualifiers this week. We already have one from yesterday. That was Chris. And maybe today it will be you. So continuing the theme of Father's Day and mirroring what we did for Mother's Day week, today's topic, something funny your dad did or does. Maybe there's a specific moment you recall where your dad did something funny, whether it was intentional or not. Or maybe he just has an ongoing thing that makes you smile, even if it's just your typical dad groaner jokes. So let's go around the horn here. We got Jeff Forte, Ryan Brant in for Jeff, Braun, Kelly Moore in for Cam Poitras, and of course, McGarry and McNabb. Loren, why don't we start with you? Okay, so my dad can fix anything. You know, like he, he was a farmer, a bush pilot. He has like all sorts of crazy skills where, you know, if something's broken, he'll figure it out. Cars, machinery, anything in your house. You know, I, there's so many things that he even put up in my house here that I'm looking at that he built. And so it drives him nuts and it has for decades if you have a light bulb out. And so if you, if he shows up in your house, and a light bulb's out. He always says, how long's that been like that for? And then you try to lie and be like, oh, it just went out this morning. And he looks at you and you're like, fine. It's been out since like July last year and I haven't gotten around to changing it. And it drives him nuts to the point now that if I have a light bulb out and I know he's coming within a month period, I leave it. And because it makes it, he'll walk in, he'll, he'll walk around the house looking for it like he knows somewhere <laughs> You're the moron that can't figure out how to change a light bulb. And I'll say to him, I know how to do it, Dad. But I knew you were coming. And I knew this would tick you off. And so I just left it. Like, I love it. I love it when he walks into the spare room and the lights are out. He goes into the bathroom and he flick. Wow. And you can hear him. Wow. Who's that? And so when they sold the farm a few years ago, he, like, left this box of light bulbs. I've got 100 light bulbs of all varieties in a box in the basement that could fill any socket at any point in the world, I'm sure. And I don't use them because I know how much it bugs them. I just leave it. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> that is tremendous. That's great. Um, Ryan Brandt. Well, uh, my father and I have, since I was 10, an ongoing table tennis rivalry that <laughs> sadly the pandemic has delayed. But it's kind of that classic story of 
even if you beat your dad in a game, you've never actually beat him. Like I would say I win some, he wins some. If we called him right now, he would say he's won every single time. And he will tell every family member and all my friends when they come to visit and we would play ping pong like, hey, king of the house is over here. You know, <laughs> I beat you once. No, you didn't. And that's kind of still an ongoing thing today after uh, over 18 years of a rivalry. Really? So is it just that he refuses to admit defeat or is that he just likes to to bug you by saying, ah, no, you didn't beat me? Yeah, it's kind of a TV dad move, right? Where if I win one, it's okay, two out of three. Oh, one in three out of five. And then eventually until he's got the edge and then he can walk away with his with his crown, I guess. But I'll, I'll give it to him. Okay, fair enough. One day he shall relent and admit defeat to the mighty Ryan Brandt. <laughs> Kelly Moore, what about you? Well, my dad has uh, been uh, passed away for a number of years, but boy, I'll tell you, I still uh, kind of chuckle at, at some of his sayings. Uh, you know, yeah, I'll be with you in two shakes of a dead lamb's tail. Uh, and then, <laughs> and why then a he, lamb? What? I don't know. And why a <laughs> just, dead that's lamb? Just the way it was. Yeah, why can't well, the lamb be alive? Because it shake. I guess it shakes a couple times, and then that's it. Okay, like this is very sad. Very okay. morbid. Now I know. Now I know why you drive your dad nuts, and it's not just for <laughs> light bulbs either. Uh, hungry enough to eat a horse and catch the rider later. No, <laughs> he's like that one. Uh, and then for years and years, when I was a kid, he told me, uh, he'd say, hey, "Come here, son. I'll tell you a dirty joke. A white horse." fell in black mud and you know so i'd pretend that i understood it and laughed and i'm ashamed to say it took me into my teenage years before i finally figured that one out but, uh... <laughs> okay and mr forte oh my dad when i was a kid you know he would hide in the basement and wear the scream mask and scare me and you know you know now it's funny Back then, it wasn't so much, but you know, he still does that to this day. He dresses up for Halloween. He puts on his uh, Halloween suit. It's uh, orange and black, and then he has these masks that he puts on, and he scares the kids. He still does it to this day. I find it hilarious now. My uh, friend's brother brought his uh, daughter over and scared the crap out of her, and uh, there's one kid who's pointing his laser gun at my dad trying to shoot him at Halloween, but uh, great memories, great memories. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about something funny your dad once did or something funny that your dad does for a chance to become today's qualifier for Dad Rocks, a $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds. We're going to give away that grand prize on Friday. Does your dad, Loren, by the way, does your dad, like, he knows that you do this on purpose, so does he take any joy in it at all, or does it just irritate him? No, I think he, I think, you know, it's one of those things where he kind of, it, he takes joy in it. Like, he likes it. You know, it's, it's almost like a gag, you know, where you, or he knows you're going to do it, and he comes prepared, and and I love, I love, he will walk around the house looking for it, on, off, tick, tick, Oh, wow. how long is this one? He just, you know, he knows how to do a lot of things. He's the dad that when we were like younger and said, dad, we want to learn how to drive the tractor. He threw the manual at us and said, read this first. And it was like 900 pages. And we're like, I'm nine. I'm not reading this book. And you he'd know, say, well, I, I, figure I, it out. I, I think to balance things out, we should really have Loren's dad on to talk about all the annoying things she did as a kid. <laughs> I'm not saying hey. an, it's annoying. I'm yeah. saying I enjoy it. It's not. I'm it's... saying I'm saying I am annoying to him <laughs> by not fixing yeah. these light bulbs. We are asking you to tell us something funny about your dad, something funny your dad did, maybe something funny that your dad does. And when I was about seven, 
My dad pulled a pretty solid prank on me and my friends. I was playing with my buddies Warren and his little brother Wes. And we were playing on the stairs going down into my basement. Uh, because the basement was sort of this mystical realm that I almost never visited. We never used it at the time. Uh, so it was kind of scary to me to imagine what was down there. So we had it in our heads that there were zombies down there and that if we actually made contact with the floor, we would become zombies. <laughs> so I had this plastic sword in my hand and I dropped it just like right to the bottom of the stairs on the floor. So I'm like sort of trying to just crawl down the stairs, Loren, so I can reach down and grab the sword. And just as I almost was able to clutch the sword, this comes bellowing out of the basement. <laughs> so, of course, the three of us bolt. We Like, Warren and I immediately run out of the house, and we're down the street. Poor Wes got his pants stuck on the door handle. <laughs> And he says, the zombies got me! The zombies got me! And it, the, what happened was my dad had a stereo upstairs, but he also had it hooked into the speakers that were downstairs. So he's, he put on Michael Jackson's Thriller, queued it up to the Vincent Price laughed, and turned up the speakers. And boy, did he get us good. So, Dad... Did that forever change the way you viewed... Like I, when I was younger, I used to run up the stairs in the basement as fast as I could for that exact fear that someone would grab my ankle underneath or that there was someone down there. So did you, like, when were you comfortable going down there again? Oh boy, it was probably years. Eventually <laughs> that it became our primary living room, but uh, I bet you it was probably not until I was, we were 10 or 11. So oh, well done, Gord. <laughs> well, well done. Well played, Smash Gordon. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. Great story about dads from Rum Hut Kevin. We are asking you to tell us a funny story about your dad. And Rum Hut Kevin says, So my dad came to visit one time and arrived when I was at work. He was always early for everything. So he would usually have a couple of rums before I got home. This time he decided to have the scotch. So I arrive home and hear this voice in my basement bar saying, Hey, Kevin, this scotch is great. <laughs> I go downstairs to see the puddle my father is. He's about six drinks into my $400 bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. Not my numerous $40 bottles, my $400 bottle. If it was anyone else, I would have been annoyed. I miss my dad. Rum Hut Kevin, great story about your dad. That's great. And keep them coming at 204-780-6868 for Dad Rocks. We're going to find our qualifier, our second qualifier, for that $500 gift certificate for Name of Diamonds, which we will give away on Friday. Now, speaking of winning, Loren, oh, just imagining seeing that big number that starts with a seven in my bank account. I know the chances are so slim, but ah, one can dream, can we not? Yeah, you could buy a lot of $400 Johnny Walker bottles if you had that seven in your bank account. Not $7, not 70, not 700, not 7,000. We're talking $70 million. Of course, a record-breaking amount up for grabs in tonight's Lotto Max. So that's a $70 million jackpot. And then there's an estimated 58 max million draws. So the total prizing available that so many are now dreaming about sits at $128 million. John Towns is the Corporate Communications Manager at the Western Canada Lottery Corporation. And John, you've got us all dreaming this morning. How are you? Uh, hi, how are you doing? 
We're, we're good. We I just sent money to the group office pool, which I normally ignore those emails because I'm just not organized enough, but I would hate to miss out just in case. And so I'm curious, when we talk about this being a record-breaking amount, is this just for the Lotto, Lotto Max, or is this the biggest amount available ever in Canada? No, this is the, uh, this is the largest uh, complete lottery prize package on offer in Canadian history. Um, so, you know, it's a, a, a very big deal, and we're all very excited and Really hoping to make a, a, a few people very happy after tonight. What are the odds of winning the big jackpot, the $70 million? Uh, you know what? Off the top of my head, I uh, don't know that. <laughs> um, uh, but I do know that you cannot win if you do not play. So, you know, um, uh, tickets are available till 9.30 tonight. <laughs> Yeah, that's the sales pitch that you got to make up. We were talking this morning, we were curious because, of course, a lot of people talk about playing the lottery or they'll, they'll hear that amount and they'll start dreaming, but they don't necessarily play. And so I'm wondering what you've seen in terms of ticket sales this last year. I know they had to go online for a bit because of COVID and then you went back to paper. And so has there been an uptake in this in the last year with so many people just with more time at home, maybe to dream or more concerns about their bottom line due to COVID? What have you seen in terms of sales? Yeah, you know what? Ticket sales have remained, uh, you know, fairly um, fairly steady actually throughout uh, throughout most of COVID. There were obviously some dips in some areas, um, you know, with sports not being available. Sports Select really took a took a bit of a beating um, throughout most of 2020, um, but that's you know kind of coming back now. But our our bigger kind of draw based games, uh, you know, we've seen relatively consistent sales uh, over the last year, and and particularly uh, you know in a big in a big kind of jackpot run like this. Uh, we see fairly strong sales kind of in the in the run up to every draw, but we actually typically see about uh, half the sales for each draw happening the day of the draw itself. So we're we're definitely expecting to see, um, you know, uh, a lot of tickets being sold uh, uh, throughout today. Now, when it comes to the the big jackpots, of course, a lot of big groups get in on it. A lot of office pools, and we have one here, and we've had one for years now. Anytime the jackpot reaches fifty million, but eventually, we they used to just be this kind of honor system, right? We just go give our salesperson Mayan five bucks, and she'd take care of it. But eventually, we used to had to start signing a form. I mean, that was before the pandemic, and we all scattered to our various, you know, home offices. But is that is that something that uh, has been instituted just to, I guess, protect uh, against disputes? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it's 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 certainly not required um, uh, that you you fill out the form if you're playing as a group, but we do kind of strenuously uh, recommend it. Um, just because, you know, you never can tell kind of, you know, what's going to happen after, after, uh, uh, that win occurs and, and, you know, folks may be claiming stuff and, and, uh, you know, it's best just to sort of protect everybody and, and make sure that everybody signs a group buying agreement, which, uh, you know, we certainly, we have available on the WCLC.com website. John, I'm curious when it comes to a prize this big, and maybe there's a pattern for any prize, I'm, I'm trying to imagine a scenario. And I think many have that moment when you realize you've won big and does the average person race down to ensure that they're the winner? Or do you see some leg time, depending on, on who, who's won? You know, that takes them days to sometimes to claim the prize. And I'm just always curious why that is. Is there a typical behavior for big winners in moments like this? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything sort of typical. Uh, each situation is, is fairly unique and, and kind of, you know, everybody reacts differently. Uh, obviously, well, some people kind of uh, uh, calling uh, calling us to try and start the prize claim uh, process before our offices are open that day. Um, and then some people, you know, might take uh, might take 
you know, months. Folks have up to a year from the, the date of the draw to uh, to start their claim. Um, and it really, you know, it depends on, on sort of people's situations and, and um, you know, any kind of steps they want to take uh, take beforehand. Um, you know, most 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 people, you know, will see claim within a, within a week or two, though. What is the process, John? If you if you win any sort of significant cash, like not even necessarily the seventy million, but let's say I win a thousand bucks on a lottery ticket, you know, I'm not going to walk down, expect to be able to walk into the Shell station next to where I live and say, "Gimme, gimme, gimme." So, what do I do if I actually win some decent cash on a lottery ticket? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, the first thing that we recommend. Uh, anyone, no matter the amount that they win, is if they haven't already, flip that ticket over and sign the back, uh, just in case, you know, it gets lost or stolen. and it, it really helps, uh, you know, reunite uh, the ticket with its, uh, with its proper owner. Um, then while you're still looking at the back of the ticket, there's a phone number on there that you can call, uh, and that'll, that'll take you through our player care folks, and they'll help you start uh, the prize claim process. So they'll get you um, kind of connected with our prize office uh, to set up an appointment. Um, right now we're doing, uh, you know, some stuff kind of in office in terms of filling out forms, but a lot of that is is, is the prize claim process is being done remotely. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a, a kind of back and forth and a bit of an interview and, and some investigation and paperwork, depending on the size of the prize, just to, to verify uh, the winner's identity. As you can imagine, we don't, um, we don't, like to let money go without making sure it's going to the uh, to the appropriate person, um, and then once that uh, that sort of investigation uh, is complete, uh, you know we'll we'll either cut you a check or uh, set you up with a wire transfer if the uh, if the amount is uh, large enough. Like just an e transfer? Like I just hit yes? Uh, Do you have a security question <laughs> for me? My childhood nickname. You know what? Uh, honestly, uh, having not won uh, a multi-million dollar jackpot myself, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it depends on uh, what you work out with your bank. All right, sure. John Towns, corporate communications manager at Western Canada Lottery Corporation. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to speak with John. John, just a full disclosure, Loren. John's an old friend of mine. So when oh. I when I saw in my email, I saw an email from John Towns. I was like. I connected the dots and remembered, oh, yeah, he's well, the lottery we'll guy. trust it if you win. You're out, McGarry. Get out of our office pool. No, I'm kidding. By the way, the odds, the Ontario Lottery Gaming Commission, they put the odds of winning the payout tonight at 1 in 33.2 million. Oh, okay. Yes. So, 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 so you're telling me there's, there's a, a chance. chance. Yeah, there's a chance. Optimism. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. How's this, Loren, for uh, something funny that one of our listeners' dads does? Tim says, my dad always answers the phone, you stab him, we slab him. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that, seems like a, that seems like a dad thing. Uh, I, the other day, called my, I can't remember, I don't know why, but my dad used to use the word dipstick, like you dipsticks. Yeah. And you're like, you didn't even, I didn't even know what it meant as a kid. Like the dipstick, I suppose, is the oil in the car, but it was like the worst insult. And so now I'll throw that out at people and then you have to explain, you know, you're the dipstick and I don't know, it just becomes a whole thing. Is that a common term, dipstick? Oh yeah, I I used to use it all the time when I was a kid. Real good to know. But I had no idea what it meant. I think, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I was, I bet you I was 20 years old. When I finally knew what a dipstick was, <laughs> which like, shows you're oily or you're dirty or you like you stick your nose in the wrong. I don't know what the intention, like why it's insulting, though. I don't either. I'll have to look up the etymology of that. 
How did dipstick become an insult? If you know the answer to that, text us at 204-780-6868 and continue to text your funny stories about your dad for well, a chance to qualify. Now when my dad says it, I feel like he's saying I love you. I'm like, I love you too, dad. Hey, dipstick. Love you, dad. It's you a, know? a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. Question mm-hmm. of the day at cjob.com is brought to you by somebody. Hang on. I'm looking for the sponsor. It's brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. It's always either Credit Aid or Mr. Furness, but it alternates from week to week. Wanted to make sure to get it right. Question is, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? And this is close. 33% say the Vegas Golden Knights. 28% say the Montreal Canadiens. 24% New York Islanders. And 16% Tampa Bay Lightning. Cast your vote. CJOB.com will get a new one up for you soon. But in the meantime, we want to switch gears from... The freshly almost renamed Canada Life Centre, effective July 1st, the home of the Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose. We head now on Tuesday to IG Field. Because it's time, Loren, for Breakfast with the Bombers. Yes, Breakfast with the Bombers is, of course, and I am sorry, brought to you by the cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Training camp gets underway in just a matter of weeks, Loren, for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, so we're going to learn more about the 2021 full schedule season, or I guess it's not a full season, but the full schedule as it stands, that's going to be released today. But if all goes well with Manitoba's COVID battles, the Blue Bombers will kick off training camp in July, and then the season will start the first week of August. Of course, not just long-awaited news for players, Brett, but for fans who are trying to see will they be able to be in the stands for that first game or at some point this season. We know a lot hinges on vaccines, and so we'll wait to hear more on that front. But waiting and watching along with the fans and players is our next guest. Abi Khan is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber and local restaurant owner. And of course, Shorma Khan also has a concession at IGF. And so there's a stake in the game here. Good morning, Abi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's start with football. Uh, by the time training camp starts, the Bombers will have had 20 months off. I mean, you and your time with the Bombers, you know, you might have a bye week. And then, of course, you have the off season, which is six or seven months, depending on how things go. But, man, how does one get back and ready for the game with that kind of stretch of time, Obby? Oh, man, that's a long time off. Like, if anyone plays any sports, you do anything, you, or if you don't do anything for 20 months and then you try to pick it up again, that's going to be a tough go for the players. Um, but, you know, they got to do what they got to do. The training camp will be here. They'll get ready. I just hope no one gets hurt. They've been off that long. I know their sheer adrenaline and excitement will carry them through any of the nervousness of forgetting how to play the game. It's a very exciting time for the CFL, for Canada, for fans, and for me as a business owner. Well, and, Abby, you were a great football player. You're now a great business owner. You're an entrepreneur. As Loren mentioned, you are the owner of several restaurants. And we've talked to you often in the last year and a half about how challenging things have been for you. So how is how is business? Are, like, are you, all of your locations open? No, I wish they were. Um, four out of the six are open. We have one closed at the airport. We have one closed in downtown. And then obviously the three at Investors Group. Now, I'm not sure if I'll get be, be able to open at Investors Group. I think they're still working on that plan. But to be honest with you, regardless of whether I open or not at the stadium, yeah, as a businessman, it's going to suck if I don't. But as a fan of the CFL and as a Winnipegger and someone who's just dying to get out and see something different, uh, I would rather, you know, take being closed and have the stadium stadium back open for the games going on. So I think there's a bigger picture here than just business at play. I think it's the light at the end of the tunnel for Canadians and for fans of the CFL to get back to some sort of normalcy. 
imagining that moment, right? Like I can only imagine for you, Abby, you've thought of all the differences scenarios, both just as a Winnipegger, but as a business owner. And so just that feeling of normalcy, like that standing there on the concourse, looking down on the field, yeah. you know, the fresh air, the, the whistle, all the rest. I mean, it gives you chills on a normal day, but yeah, now here we are cool. all this time later. Totally. It's super exciting. I think we're, we're almost there, guys. Like, you know, and it's a real optimistic move to move forward with this. Will there be fans of being? I'm not sure. I've talked to Wade. They seem to have a really great plan for zones and for letting fans in the stands eventually. It's really exciting. You know, I hope as a business owner, yeah, we've been hit hard downtown uh, and my other stores, but the provincial government, the federal government have stepped in, even the city and, you know, the chambers. So, Everyone's kind of binding together to get small businesses through this. So I'm really optimistic. I just can't wait to see some games, some fans, some some games. Like, let me see a football game, for God's sake. Will so, it be the greatest football in the first couple of weeks? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> Do you have a number of fans in your head that you would have to see in the stands for it to make sense for you to open a concession oh, there? Oh, I'll open with 100 fans. I don't care. Yeah. I could, yeah, I don't care. I mean, I'm just so excited to get the fans back in the stands and to get the football on the field. If I sell one Shormer game, I'll, I'll make it. I'll cook it. I'll make it. I'll sell it myself to you, my friend. Uh, I just want to see football back on the field. Hopefully, some fans. And then third step is business. That's and that's my priority is football fans than me. So um, we'll go there. A shawarma made personally by Abby sounds pretty good to me. But Abby, at the end of the day, you know, there's survival for so many at stake. And I was thinking this morning about all the businesses. First of all, you know, you're downtown. You have businesses downtown. And, and so Jets not having fans or waiting for the, the ballet or waiting for whatever it might have, waiting for office workers to return. That's part of it. And then, of course, football, all the businesses and restaurants around the stadium, you know, really rely heavily on that kind of foot traffic. And so at the end of the day, like 100 fans sounds great in the stands, but we need, whether you're talking downtown or IGF or whatever, you need thousands yeah. of people, right, to, to create oh, that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you look at the downtown sector, like you said, there's so many businesses that rely, so many fall-off businesses that rely on all these events that happen, and that's just been taken away. You know, the start of the CFL season, I think, is a signal that things will start to reopen. So people will start to come downtown, the ballet, you know, the Winnipeg Symphony, um, events will start to happen more. So it's really, I think it's heading in the right direction. You know, I think the CFL has a really good plan working with the provinces to do this. It's light at the end of the tunnel, like I said. Businesses rely on this heavily. Let's hope we do it right and we do it safe. People get vaccinated and then we can get back to some sort of normalcy like I mentioned. But in the meantime, uh, I would imagine that you continue to hope that Manitobans will support restaurants that can't open their patios right now. You can't have any dining. And it's it's grilling season. It's barbecuing season. So takeout, I would imagine, might be uh, falling back a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, please continue to support local like everyone has. I started that business, goodlocal.ca, where we've had tremendous success in people supporting local um, buy at your local restaurant. Go right to the restaurant. Try to avoid those third-party, uh, you know, delivery services because they take a huge chunk. Myself as a restaurant owner, I know this. Call the store. Try to pick it up. Help them out. It goes a long way in such a hard time right now. Even a couple thousand bucks a month, you know, pays the bills, pays the restaurant, and keeps us open. So um, the Winnipeg's been great. Like I said, the province and government have been great. We're almost there. Get vaccinated. Be safe. Be smart. And we can get there. All right, Abby Khan joining Hold us on, live. I got, I got one last thing. I got one last thing. You guys are talking about Father's Day and insults or comments or things your dad would call you. I got one up on you guys. My dad used to call me a son of an owl. <laughs> what? I have no idea. No, no idea to this day what that means. Son of an like owl. When he was mad, you son of an owl. Yep. <laughs> 
I hope I didn't just say something wrong on radio that's now a swear that I don't know about. (laughs) I mean, I don't know either. I I would love if someone could tell me what it means. My family doesn't know. All my siblings don't know. My dad has now passed away, so I can't ask him what it means. But that's a weird one. Do you call your kids that now, Abby? Uh, I don't, but maybe I should start. <laughs> well, I mean, owls are pretty cool, so I don't know. I think that's kind of a, a good thing to be called, if anything. No, but you say it in anger, like anger. Weird. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> uh, dads are weird. Abby, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Abby Khan, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber and local restaurant owner of Shawarma Khan, also has a concession at IGF. McGarry and McNabb Macklings off this week. Many Manitobans and Canadians are now making travel plans for the summer with another destination put back on the list this week, Ontario. The border closure that has been in effect since April will be lifted tomorrow, meaning Manitobans can now head to cottages they might have in the Kenora area. But a reminder, unless you've had two doses of the vaccine, a 14-day self-isolation period is still required. So we know there is a ton of cross-border travel that occurs, not just with Ontario, but of course with our neighbours to the west. And our next guest runs a campground. Next guests run a campground on Lake of the Prairies, which of course stretches from the Assisipi Provincial Park, north of Russell, uh, west past Roblin, and then into Saskatchewan. And it's a top spot for walleye and many fishers on it come from Saskatchewan, or at least they used to. We're joined now by Jody Digby, owner of Pyatt's West Campground. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, Lauren. And her husband, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you today? We're good, thank you. We're curious to hear how things are going. And, and Jody, I guess I'll start with you. Just how many residents do you normally see from Saskatchewan in a normal year? Like, how essential are they to your operation? Very essential, Lauren. We have 140 seasonal sites. This is um, an older campground that we took over some years ago. And um, we also have 55 day camping spots. And I would suggest 80 to 90% of our customers, our guests, are from Saskatchewan. Now, Jason, what's been happening with enforcement? Um, They've been on the lake. And from what we understand from the DNR officers, that they've been told that any Saskatchewan residents on the lake are to be fined. There's they have given out the odd warning, but more so than not, they are giving out fines from what we understand. So in theory, you know, people aren't allowed to come into the province unless they've had the two doses. So are they giving fines, as you know it, to people who've also been vaccinated? Or are they asking that vaccine question, Jason? I don't know that they're asking the vaccine question. Um, I know the majority of the people that come to our campground and stay our seasonals, uh, I would suggest 90% of them are vaccinated singly and lots of them have been uh, vaccinated with their second shots or will be very shortly. Now, Jody, you've made several calls to conservation and your local MLA. What questions do you have for them? Well, first of all, I really just want to commend Rick Wojcik. He has been going to bat uh, to the powers that be for us and others along the lake. I think, though, he's falling. He's, things are falling on deaf ears in that sense. And our conservation officers um, have also been really great. Uh, they are so short-staffed. 
I know they've got bigger fish to fry, I would assume, but they always return our calls, answer our questions, send us emails updating us on, on the latest. So... Sorry, I don't think I answered your question. Well, what are you looking for? Because I think one of the challenges is, in theory, someone from Saskatchewan can enter the lake on the Saskatchewan side and then end up fishing in Manitoba. And so are you looking for some allowances there or just more because you're so close to the border? Would you just like to see some concessions made? Like, what's the, what are you hoping changes? Well, things have changed so, so many times since I started calling. But um, at the moment, they, Saskatchewan people are not allowed to um, fish in Manitoba. So they can launch their boat here at our campground, but then they must travel to the Saskatchewan side. So if they happen to drop a line in the water um, on the Manitoba side, they are susceptible to a $1,200 fine. So I, I know that we get painted with the same brush as the Winnipeg area um, in this case with the rules, and we understand that rules are for everyone but being this close to a border water this area manitoba and into saskatchewan has one of the highest vaccination rates uh in in canada from what i understand and um it was just a little bit upsetting last weekend when we had all that heat and winnipeg opened up their splash parks and their pools and that and then i've got saskatchewan families five minutes away that can't bring their kids down to the water so, sorry, explain that to me again. Sorry, Jody, I just wanted to understand. They can come, they can cross the border, launch, go in the water at your location, but they then have Correct. to go north to get back into Saskatchewan. Yes. Which would be how long of a journey? 45 minutes, I'm guessing. Okay. So we're, are you, is the goal here just to see if you can get some allowances that maybe that if you're from Saskatchewan and you're five minutes away and you're that border community, that there can be a little bit of leeway here, Jason? Last year, we had a border community allowance that the small towns and stuff that are doing business side by side in Manitoba and Saskatchewan could cross back and forth. It worked really well. The The people that came were safe. They followed the rules. And that if we could get that back, that would be amazing. Um, because we've got you know guys working together on a daily basis. And they they can't cross the border to come in and fish where they're going to be, you know, 200 yards from the closest person. Um, it's, it's really not making any sense. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we're asking you to tell us. Something funny about your dad, whether it's a funny story or something funny that he did or still does. And Loren, you mentioned that your dad used to call people dipsticks. Oh, not used to. Still does. And I love it. It's now I had said it's kind of like a term of endearment, like, oh, don't be a dipstick. And I'm like, oh, daddy. Love you too. Daddy. I never really said daddy. I don't know why that just came out. But as a kid, I must have. Um, and so we had, I had said, I'm not really sure I get it. Like, why is that the term? And so we've had a lot of feedback on that. Like Arnie texted to say, I think the term dipstick just means the person is useless. <laughs> Thanks, Arnie. Uh, Eve says dipstick doesn't have anything to do except dip into the product. So it doesn't require any intelligence or movement. It's a person being a dipstick. So therefore they're a dunce. Okay. Someone said it came from a TV show. Um, Someone says it's the polite way to say dip, blankety blank, not stick, but replace the words with that. And uh, someone said that it goes back to the 20s uh, of a person uh, 
wasn't intelligence or dippy or dippy or foolish or not overly bright. Basically, I get it. Yeah. I get what he was saying. I just never really understood. I get I get in that moment what he was trying to infer. Yeah. And then and then and Garth adds as well, he says, and then after that came dip, uh, a different S word, shall right. we say, which is obviously a lot stronger. So perhaps dipstick is like the, the, the calmer version of the insult. Hmm. I'm going to start using it on my kids and see how they like it. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about your dad, a funny story for a chance to be our second qualifier for Dad Rocks. $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds for Dad. Grand prize giveaway on Friday. Right now, and with Father's Day being an overall theme for the week, we want to follow up on a chat that we had yesterday morning. We talked about masculinity and revisiting what we think about masculinity and what it means to be a man. And one of the things that came up is that, hey, men have feelings too, but they often don't feel like they can share them. So what do we do about that? And who's, who are we going to get to answer that question, Brett? So we thought we'd ask Carolyn. We're borrowing Carolyn Clausen from Connexus Counseling. Uh, she usually joins Hal, Hal Anderson Afternoons, every Thursday at 2.30. But we're taking her for the start today. So good morning, Carolyn. So good to talk to you, Loren. Well, thanks for taking the time because I'm, I'm curious about this on a number of fronts. First of all, you know, some guys are really good at talking about their feelings. And then, of course, there are those that are not. Is there science behind this in terms of just the kind of brain you might have? Or, or is it what you learn growing up? Is it more environmental than anything else? Well, it's probably a combination of nature versus nurture, but I think that we are very much growing up in a world where little boys are often allowed to be very excited when they win or, you know, very happy. And they're also allowed to be very angry, but they're not always allowed to be, you know, tender or gentle or sad or grieving. And that some of those we have, we call little boys names like, you know, sissy or crybaby in a way that often gives messages to little boys that tender feelings aren't allowed and so they start to shut those down and because they know that those things aren't aren't safe to feel and over time uh, that just gets bigger and bigger and people remember those lessons and so people stop they narrow their range of, of acceptable feelings that are okay to express. So we talk about this yesterday and we're talking about it again today because one of the things, Carolyn, we also heard was this idea that it's perhaps more a generational thing, you know, old school. That's how it was maybe in your father's generation or your grandfather's generation, but we're trying to change that. So do you feel like you're seeing that shift that, that you know, back in the day it might have been, quote, suck it up and be a man, but we're not necessarily talking that way as much anymore? Well, we're working towards that. I do hear that. And I think people are being very deliberate about working to raise their boys, little boys differently. But here's the thing is that, you know, during when you're in grade school, you learn how to read and you learn how to write and you learn your numbers, like you develop literacy in all sorts of subjects. That's really important. There's also emotional literacy that we develop as children. And so the challenge is for people that were not developed, didn't have a lot of chance to develop emotional literacy when they were kids. Now their parents and those men are trying to teach their children emotional literacy, their sons emotional literacy. And how do you teach emotional literacy to your kids if you're not really emotionally literate yourself, if you don't understand what that feeling is that you're feeling and you're not quite sure what to do with it or how to name it or how to move through it? How to, if you can't even say it to yourself what it is, and how are you supposed to be able to tell other people about it and teach your kids about it? And so I think we're working on it, but we're, it's going to take a while. Now, when it comes to talking about feelings, there are also 
uh, there's there's uh, someone on the other side who has to listen to that person talk about their feelings. So uh, when it comes to men and listening to people talk about their feelings, sometimes we are not good at that, right? Like we lis- guys will listen to someone talk about what's bothering them and then immediately try to offer a solution. You know, we try to fix the problem. We got to fix it. Uh, but sometimes that's not what a person wants, you know. So how can we change that? So true, Brett. So true. Um, I have this discussion regularly in the counseling office. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that when somebody talks about their feelings, like let's say a woman talks to her male partner about their feelings, um, the male partner is going to have feelings as he's listening to her talk about her feelings. And often those feelings are uncomfortable where it, it hurts to watch somebody you care about being in distress and you don't want them to be uncomfortable and you want to get them out of that state of suffering. And so men often rush to the solution because if I fix you and you're not in pain anymore, then I won't be either. And I think it, it's not... Um, as direct and as conscious as that. But when we sort of drill down and dig about it, it often gets to, I need you to feel better so I can feel better too. So here, let me give you a solution real quick. Well, then uh, to follow up on that, you you mentioned relationships. A lot of guys are guilty of this. You know, we're asked by our partners, what's wrong? What's on your mind? And we just say, nothing, Uh, it's fine. Uh, Even though that's not the case, right? Like sometimes we want to say something, but we're either scared. And one of my buddies used to say, uh, are you prepared to die on that hill? Because we're scared it will start a fight or we know it will start a fight. So is there, in that kind of a situation, is there a more delicate way to state what's on our mind to try to avoid that potential confrontation? Or is it uh, maybe just a situation where, uh, you know, we should bail out of that relationship because it's not, like, that's not healthy. If you know you're in a situation where you, where you speak your mind and it leads to a fight, that's not a healthy situation to be in. No, no, it isn't. And I think what you're, what we recognize is that all of us um, only share our feelings when we know that they will be seen, heard, and valued. And when you feel like they're going to just be battled against, then people don't even go there. And so I think what, what you're saying there is that people have something on their mind, but they also have a level of fear of, will this be heard well? I don't think so. And so what I encourage people to do then is to f- share that first feeling first of, I have something to say, but I don't know how well it will go. Can we talk about you making sure that you're going to hear me for what I have to say in a way that's respectful? And then once I know it's safe, then I will be able to tell you. What's the ramifications if you don't do that? Like I can, you know, in some ways it seems obvious, you know, you have the idea that you bottle up your emotions, right, Carolyn? And then they explode Mm -hmm. at the wrong time or in an opportune moment. But long term as well, you could go years if you're not if you're not adequately expressing yourself. Then years later, if someone brings something up, you're just completely thrown because you had no idea that that had been bugging them all that time. Well, sometimes I compare relationships kind of like to like a dance step, right? And if you have a, you know, a four or an eight step dance step and on every number count three of the dance step, someone steps on your toe and you don't say something about it, that toe is going to get bruised and hurt and you're going to get angry and resentful. If early on you can say that doesn't work for me, this hurts and they can adjust their steps. You you can see how you can set the relationship up for so much more success. And it really wears at the relationship when something's not working and you you stuff it down and you don't bring it up. And so I really encourage couples to kind of, you know, kind of do regular house maintenance of their relationship, right? And so if you can do regular maintenance of your relationship, you can keep things clean and running smoothly and you don't 
um, end up in a situation where there's so much damage to the relationship that by the time you're finally willing to look at it and name it, it may be too late. So when it comes to guys then trying to figure out how to talk about their feelings, does it come down to something just as simple like just finding the right person to talk to, like whether it's someone who uh, is a family member or a friend or someone like you, Carolyn, in a professional capacity, just that trial and error of finding somebody who makes you feel safe enough to speak your mind? It certainly is finding somebody finding somebody that's safe enough to talk to because that's really good practice to develop your range and your ability to talk to a person about all sorts of things. And sometimes a therapist is the best person. Part of that process is learning how to talk to yourself where emotional awareness first starts with yourself. What am I feeling? Um, what do I like about this feeling? What do I want to do with this feeling? How can I use this feeling to help myself move forward? Sometimes that connection with yourself is a, we learn about that through a conversation with somebody else, but that conversation with yourself and that connection with yourself is really important and often overlooked. Carolyn Clausen, Connexus Counseling, joining us live on 680 CJOB on loan from Hal Anderson Afternoons. She's on with Hal every Thursday at 2.30. Carolyn, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it was good to be with you guys. And to men out there, it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to talk about them. Don't bottle them up. You know, don't suck it up. Don't feel like you have to suck it up. Uh, I know sometimes uh, Greg and I can overshare, I think, on this show, or some people might think we overshare, but I think it's better to to talk about it and and be okay. You shouldn't be ashamed. And I know it's not exclusive to men, Loren, but I think that's kind of the the stereotypical thing. You know, guys got to stiff up our lip and all that stuff and it can be I, th- I think you know like as she said i think we're making changes to that you know right as a parent you're trying really i'm trying really hard to make sure we don't have that obvious guys do this girls do that boys behave this way girls behave that way and all the rest i think i you know me i love an overshare oh. overshare away okay i will take that as uh, an edict as an order <laughs> moving forward McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week. In our next segment, our second qualifier for Dad Rocks, $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds, grand prize giveaway on Friday. Johnny with a story from the farm says... Uh, These stories are so good. Sorry, I'm laughing at all of them right now. Carry away with Johnny. It's so funny. Johnny says, living on the farm... The smart and clever magpie has always been a huge pain in the butt. With a carport and patio attached to the back of the house, with a glass and screen door separating the two, and the dog's dry food just on the other side of the door, that presented easy access for the magpie to have free will at it. So being sneaky as possible, my dad opened the kitchen window so the black and white bird wouldn't see him. With the bird in the sights of a gun, not sure if it was a pellet gun or a twenty-two. my father took the shot. Bang! Smash! <laughs> he forgot the glass and screen door was closed. Missed the magpie. He passed not too long ago. And silly enough, seeing a magpie reminds Aww. me of my dad. I love it. Great story, Johnny. Oh, bird. They remind- what movie was that where they were trying to go after that bird because it was driving them nuts? We were just talking about this. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's in it. And Matthew McConaughey, he lives at home with his parents forever. Oh, uh, yes. Flight. Board, oh, ships, ships ahoy. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm uh, looking up the movie. Catch and release. No, catch. That, that sounds, I think, failure to launch. Failure to launch. There you go. And that uh, Zoe Deschanel is in that, I think, right? She has this bird and they just try to shoot at the bird and then they hurt the bird and then they feel so terrible and they're trying to resi- resuscitate <laughs> the bird. <laughs> 
Great story, Johnny. I once tried to, uh, we had a hawk that used to hang out in the tree behind my house when I owned a house. And he, he would sit at the top of this tree and just squawk and squawk and squawk. And I tried, tried to just like throw a rock at him just to get this bird to go away. But I, the tree was so tall, I couldn't even get the rock to the top of the tree. So the hawk just would then squawk at me, basically laughing at me. Because uh, all I could do was just sit there and, and listen to him make the worst racket in the world. So birds, magpies. Great story, Johnny, as Lauren said. Hey, uh, as Canada's COVID-19 vaccination rates continue to rise amid the rollout of the second dose. Experts are warning it won't last. Yeah, and that's why we've seen all sorts of different talk about how do we incentivize this? Can we? Should we? There are new numbers that reveal one in five people in Alberta and Saskatchewan are holding off from getting vaccinated. One in five. Global's Jamie Marocker has more. You can come on inside in Ontario, hundreds of double-dose hopefuls rushed to get their COVID-19 vaccines, marking the start of a ramped-up second-shot schedule. The actual daily number of vaccine doses compared to the population rate in Canada is amongst the highest right now. But infectious disease specialist Dr. Lenora Saxinger says that pace won't last. We were expecting that there's going to be a ceiling. A June poll from Angus Reid revealed 88% of Canadians are vaccinated or are willing to be. And while 64% of our population has had at least one dose, not all provinces are keeping up the momentum. Polling shows one in five people in Saskatchewan and Alberta are holding off. We're not getting enough demand right now. In Alberta, the issue prompted Premier Jason Kenney to offer an incentive to those who get a vaccine. Alberta Today is announcing that we are launching the Open for Summer Vaccine Lottery with three $1 million prizes. We've never before immunized entire population like we are now, so... It makes sense to me that we have to think outside the box. The Calgary-based pediatrician, Dr. Cora Constanescu, warns this won't encourage everyone. You'll see that the rural places, the more difficult-to-reach places have lower uptake. Pointing to barriers such as access to healthcare services and technology, as well as language-related hurdles. Then there are the skeptics. Studying Twitter conversations, Janessa Griffith, a researcher at Women's Health College in Toronto, found... People had genuine concerns over safety. She says the best way to reach the vaccine-hesitant crowd is through word of mouth and non-government promotion. Scott Halperin, the director of the Canadian Centre for Vaccinology, says still public health can't get complacent. We need to make people understand that second dose that they've been demanding sooner Uh, they all need to get when it's offered to them. Encouraging Canadians hopeful for a second dose summer. Jamie Rocker, Global News, Toronto. So when I was golfing yesterday, I went golfing to uh, Larders at St. Andrews. And at one point, uh, the guys I was with, we passed through these uh, four guys who were all like, they all looked like they were probably about 20 years older than us. They were just, you know, having a break. They were eating a sandwich. And one of the guys in my group said, hey, you guys get your second, how did he put it? You get your second pop yet? And uh, and all of them said uh, not yet. Mm-hmm. And now we didn't get into specifics. It wasn't sure. I don't know when they got the first dose. I don't know if it was an eligibility thing. But just the, given the tone, it just it it struck me as it didn't seem all that urgent to them. And yeah. then I, I've I talked to a, a younger guy who's in his twenties who says he just he wants to wait to get his first dose. He just he's just kind of holding off. And part of me you know wants to hear the reasons. And there's also I can't help but but have this other part of me that's just saying, what's the holdup? Like, let's get on with this so we can all get our lives back. 
Yeah, I just really think it depends on how you're feeling about everything and where you're at with that whole conversation, either with yourself or with your family. I mean, the numbers show like 800,000 plus Manitobans have had that first dose, but the cumulative second doses is more around 200,000. So we have a long way to go to get the double dose population going. And I, you're right. I, I, I've had, I've, you know, I, Everybody has to make their own decision, and so you have to respect that. We talked about that a few weeks ago, Brett, you know, just hearing somebody out. But I have found myself surprised in conversations when someone says, oh, yeah, I have my second dose, but it's scheduled for July. And there might be someone who's, say, 20 years older than me, and so you wonder, oh, well, does that mean you, you just got your first dose, and that's why you're waiting? Or did you delay booking the second dose? Or are you rethinking things, the urgency? I don't know if it necessarily feels like it's there. So I'd be curious to hear from our listeners because – the second dose, to to me, I had said last week, I already had my second dose booked for this Friday, but then when they made the changes to the travel rules, I was like, well, that really seals it for me because I want to go see some family and I don't want to have to worry about self-isolating when I return. And so that was enough for me. It's not why I booked it. I was already booked. I was already going for the second one, but that helped out with that decision process. And so I thought there would be other things that you know, encourage people or incentivize them to do this and maybe... Maybe they're not filling it the same with the second dose. And it could it could also just be something as simple as maybe they're just they they want to do it. They know they they have to do yeah. it to get that second dose, but they're scared uh, that they might have side effects because you know with the Pfizer apparently if you experience side effects it'll come more likely on that second shot. I will point out, Smash Gordon just celebrated his birthday this week. He's in his seventies. First shot, no side effects. Second shot. No side effects. He was feeling fine after both of them. So if that's what's, uh, I get it. No one wants to throw away a day for feeling lousy, but, uh, you know, small price to pay in the grand scheme of things. McGarry and McNabb Mackling is off this week. On Friday, we're giving away a $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds for Dad because Dad Rocks, that's the name of the contest, Dad Rocks, and we're Finding four qualifiers Monday through Thursday. We've already got one. That was Chris. And we'll tell you who today's qualifier is in a moment. First, I want to read this text from Jeremy because this reminds me of a really awkward situation that I later encountered. Jeremy says, so when my voice changed, people would call the house and I'd answer. They'd always remark on how they couldn't tell if it was me or my dad. Well, in those same days, there was a girl who used to regularly call for me wanting to talk about, well, pretty much nothing for a long period of time, a much longer period of time than I was interested in being on the phone for. Well, one day my dad answered the phone. Hello, he said, and she proceeded to embark on a lengthy conversation about, well, pretty much nothing. After about five (laughs) minutes, he said, oh, are you wanting to talk to Jeremy? (laughs) Needless to say, the frequency of the calls diminished after that point. I still appreciate my dad's patience to this day. So Jeremy, that's a great example of what we're asking you for today. Tell us something funny about your dad, whether it's a funny story or something funny your dad does. But Loren, I had a situation where I called somebody once. I needed to just make sure the air was clear, that everything was okay, following what was a rather enjoyable drunken encounter at a party. Uh, let's just say I had a, me and a, one of the ladies there both had a, a good time that night. But I, I wanted to make sure that, that everything was cool. So I called and I proceeded to, you know, refer to rather, you know, personal, intimate details about this encounter because I thought I was talking to that person. Oh, no. But I was talking to one of her friends who just happened to answer that phone. Oh, no. And she didn't say anything. 
She did once I once I started going, she just realized, oh no, I, I what am I supposed to do now? I, so she just kind of said, uh huh, okay. And that was it. So anyway. <laughs> That's what happens when you're nervous. You don't take the time to figure out who you're talking to. And then, ah, this isn't so-and-so. Yeah. yeah. That'll, that'll get you in the end. But we have to go. We're going with our winner right now yep. here. Man, this just came in under the wire. And I think you, you and I were both laughing uh, out loud at this one. So this comes from Sandy. We had just moved into Windsor Park into a then brand new townhouse summer. Nice yard. We were all excited. Now, it's important to preface the story by saying my mom was like a Lucille Ball character. Well-meaning, but then she would do something with good intentions that would inevitably blow up. So off she went to Eden's mail order store to buy our dad, for Father's Day, a new summer attire. Shorts, t-shirts, sandals. He dressed in the new plaid walking shorts, baffled it had no pockets for his wallet. (laughs) So he tucked it in the waistband and pleased with his new clothes, he set off with black socks and his new brown sandals (laughs) to the house good IGA with a shopping list for mom. As he was shopping down the aisle, people were smiling widely at him and dad was thinking everyone found him fetching in his new summer clothes until a female customer (laughs) approached him and said, I don't mean to embarrass you, but you are wearing walking shorts. You aren't wearing walking shorts. You are wearing boxer shorts. Underwear. (laughs) Just walking down the the aisle of the grocery store in his black socks, his brown sandals, and his boxers. That is gold, Sandy. Congratulations. That's exactly what we're looking for. You are our second qualifier for Dad Rocks. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week. In a moment, we're going to talk about some delicious food, which is kind of one of the things we talk about way too often because we're always hungry on this show. But before that, Loren, we had a conversation last half hour about the slowdown of second-dose uptake across Canada. Yeah, we had a report uh, coming out of a study done in different, survey done in different provinces and about how one in five in Alberta and Saskatchewan, only one in five had gone to their second dose. Ontario was talking about a possible slowdown. We know here we've offered that vaccine lottery. So your name goes into a lottery if you get the first dose and again, if you get the second. And so all sorts of different conversations about encouraging people to go. And we had some feedback from listeners who texted to say like, you know, hang on, it's not necessarily the people's fault in this campaign to try to get the second dose, there might be some challenges with the booking. So, for example, Kat and Gimli texted to say um, many rural people got the AstraZeneca shot first and were not allowed to get a second dose for 12 weeks. Or in theory, that's what they recommend, right, Brett? So there's that 12-week possible delay. Then Kat adds there was confusion around exactly what the second dose would be. She says not everyone has easy access to a place where they can get vaccinated. Transportation can be an issue, waiting in line for an hour, lots of factors at play. And so there, that is very true. And I do know uh, in just trying to help a friend book yesterday because they had the May 10th opening up, when you first start looking the earliest, I think it said, was July 20th, which is well over a month away. And then as you kept going and circling back and circling back and picking different sites, and which, again, is part of the challenge. You do have to just sort of work your way through it. Uh, we eventually found one for the end of June, but that's still 10 days away, more than 10 days away. And so there is that challenge, too. People, There are people who want that second dose, but they just can't get 
it quickly enough. And another listener texted to say, I had my jab on April 3rd as fast as I could. I booked. Today is the day. It could not come fast enough for me. Our family is all over this. She says, I am the first for the second, but we're moving to get this done. So again, she would have opened up for availability in that case a couple weeks ago. And her first appointment was today. So I don't know if you're hearing similar stories like that, Brett. Let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. Now, we have spent much of the last 16 months sharing stories of various industries that have been just hammered by this pandemic. And that, that of course, includes restaurants. And they continue to suffer in frustration even further now that private outdoor gatherings are allowed, but they still can't open their patios. Was just on a, with a, on a personal note, on a personal editorial note, I think that's mind-boggling and insane. But on the restaurant front right now, we want to share a good news story. And this really stood out for us. Listen carefully. A Winnipeg restaurant is getting ready to celebrate its one-year anniversary. One year, which means they opened during the pandemic and have managed to survive. The name of the restaurant is Preservation Hall Eatery and Wine Bar. It's located at 655 Empress Street, and Melanie Foucault owns it with her husband, Tristan, and Melanie joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time, and like I said, the date really stood out for us because we know opening a restaurant can be challenging at any time. You were set to open March of 2020, then COVID hit. So Mm -hmm. what was that like riding that roller coaster? (laughs) Um, It it definitely uh, was a challenge, to say the least, for sure. Um, uh, You know, by the time COVID hit Manitoba, uh, we we were all in. We were invested. Uh, We had our life savings, our blood, sweat and tears in the place. So, you know, turning back really was not an option for us. Um, But, uh, you know, through the support of uh, the community and our amazing staff, um, we have built uh, a, f- a fairly large uh, following of, of loyal regular guests, and, and they've really enabled us to, to survive this pandemic. So when you were finally able to open in June of last year, what was the, the mm-hmm. initial response from the public? Um, it, overwhelmingly positive. Um, so uh, 75% of our kitchen uh, team has worked for um, my, my husband, the chef, uh, a combined total of 25 years over, uh, you know, the course of different roles. Um, so we have a, a very um, well-trained, very talented team, and uh, the, the quality and the consistency of the food um, that they've put out uh, has really helped with um, with the support from the community. Um, people have found us and, you know, support us on a biweekly basis sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, definite, definitely very fortunate and lucky in that regard. So much of a success of any business is word of mouth. And when you open and then, you know, potentially have to close and then open and close or at least have to go to that takeout and all the rest, you might not have had a chance to get the word out there. So how did you guys do that in all this? Because I'm, if I'm thinking about the window, you opened one year mm-hmm. ago and then you might have had to go to some in-room dining by maybe was it October, November or, or sorry, just delivery and takeout only. So how did that first six months work to just get the buzz going? Um, well, there was actually a free press article that came out, I think it was about two weeks after we opened, uh, which helped spread the word of mouth. Um, it was uh, an article about uh, two culinary couples that were opening during the pandemic. Um, so, so that definitely helped. But um, 
you know, social media has been huge for us. And, you know, every um, uh, personal word of mouth recommendation has been huge. And, uh, you know, the, the more positive experiences that people have at your place, uh, the more people that, of course, are going to tell. So, um, you know, it, it, the, the opening is a lot different than it, it would have been had we opened another time. But, um, you know, I, I, the support has been overwhelming. Melanie Foucault is our guest. She co-owns with her husband, Tristan, Preservation Hall Eatery and Wine Bar on Empress Street, which is getting ready to celebrate its one-year anniversary. You mentioned blood, sweat, and tears, Melanie. It's clear (laughs) that owning a restaurant is a real passion for the two of you. You've got, between you, 30 years of hospitality experience. So could you maybe just run some of uh, both of your backgrounds on that? You mentioned uh, Tristan is a chef, for example. Certainly. Uh, so he was a former longtime chef at Peasant Cookery in the Exchange District. Uh, he was there for about 10 years. Um, his, uh, he, he won actually uh, Best New Restaurant in 2011 when he opened uh, Peasant Cookery. Uh, we were very fortunate to um, uh, be voted uh, Best New Restaurant of 2020 by Chow Magazine with Preservation Hall. Uh, prior to uh, Peasant Cookery, he uh, was also the chef at Wee Bistro and who's on first. Um, my personal background, um, originally I have a, a background in marketing and I jumped to, uh, into hospitality a little over 10 years ago and uh, just absolutely fell in love with it. And, and uh, that's how we met. So do you have a, I'm sorry, I just, I was warned by Brett to maybe not look at the menu until we were done this segment. <laughs> and I'm literally salivating like that's the, sorry, it's, I was like, oh, tortier, and then I'm down to your pork chops and now I'm at the scallops. And so you've got a lot of, it's, what would you say the theme is? Is there one for your, for your food or is it lo- local seems to be a big part of it too? Yes. So we're very much farm to table, French inspired cuisine. Everything from, for the restaurant is made from scratch in house. Uh, uh, Chef Tristan, he was actually one of the first in the city to pioneer the in-house charcuterie movement. So that's something that we're very well known for. Um, you know, a preservation hall, part of the reason why we chose that name is because of the preserved aspect of uh, our dry cured meats. We do all of our own in-house pickling, uh, so preserved vegetables. Um, and that's something that we're very passionate about is, is taking, um, you know, really great quality items, you know, fresh in season and preserving the best uh, that uh, nature has to offer. <laughs> One of the things you pointed out in your news release uh, is that your restaurant is the only independent restaurant in the Polo Park area. And I just started to think about it and then thought, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah that's right. The only one. So like, has that, with everybody working so hard to support local, has that given you an, an advantage over the last year being in that area? Uh, well, one of the challenges is um, because the, the space originally was a Kelsey's 20 years ago, um, it, it very much looks like a, a, a corporate chain restaurant. So it's not until you actually walk through the doors that you realize that it's something something different, you know. Um, so just getting the, that word out there and, um, you know, uh, win, winning over hearts and minds uh, with every dining experience um, uh you know, then they see, oh, this this is local, and and the, the passion is there, and uh, the people are there, because that's that's one thing that really is special about this restaurant is, you know, we have great food, but we also have great people that work there. So while we wait for what we hope will be a reopening really soon in terms of restaurants mm-hmm. being able to go back to in room dining, hopefully some patios along the way, whatever wherever this goes, takeout and delivery are the name of the game. Were those originally on the plan? Like, did you, were you doing takeout at the start, and will you continue to do it? What's the uptake been like there? 
Well, it, takeout, uh, it, you know, that's always been a, a, something that a restaurant um, does offer. Um, obviously, it wasn't our primary focus when we first opened. But, you know, like many in our industry, you know, you have to pivot and switch gears and um, uh, figure out how you're, you're going to get through this, this next portion uh, when you have the lockdowns. So when uh, the first um, lockdown that we experienced um, after being open happened at the end of October, uh, we quickly scrambled. We created an online ordering platform through our website um, so people would be able to do contactless curbside pickup. Um, You know, we jumped on board with a delivery platform um, so that people who did not want to leave their homes could still, uh, you know, experience the food. So I definitely have had to sort of pivot and turn and, uh, you know, um, you know, problem solve on the fly but um for anybody that's been in the industry a while that's exactly what you have to do to survive melanie before we let you go has there been a point at all over the last year where you guys thought about shutting it down no, no. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a glasses half full kind of place and, and we're very optimistic um, that moving forward into the future that uh, things will continue to improve and the restrictions will be lifted. Um, you know, since we've been open, uh, we've only been able to welcome guests in-house for, you know, 26 of the last 52 weeks. So, um, you know, if, if we can make it through this, if we can make it through this past year, we, we can make it through anything. And I guess finally, uh, one more question. What time do you open? Because I'm looking at the, uh, the fish and chips on your Instagram <laughs> profile and uh, I, need, I need that in my belly. Manitoba Fair Curl, you can't go wrong with that. Um, so we are uh, open during these code red restrictions, Tuesday through Saturday, 4 till 8 p.m. Um, of course, as uh, as the situation gets better, we'll be expanding our hours again, but uh, that, that's our current hours now. Okay. Well, Melanie Foucault, thank you very much for joining us, and congratulations on the success that uh, you've been able to enjoy uh, and your, your perseverance to keep Preservation Hall going. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Preservation Hall Eatery and Wine Bar is its name. Melanie Foucault co-owns it with her husband, Chef Tristan. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.